0: people do need the Lord that's the reason that the church exists it's the reason we have been commissioned by our master to go and tell I was reading one of the Apostle Paul's letters not long ago the letters of the Ephesians and if you've got a Bible I'm going to invite you to go ahead and take it and turn to Ephesians chapter 6 You know, Paul in his writings always magnified Jesus Christ. He never failed to emphasize the primacy of Christ as Lord and Savior. But he also was always quick to declare the role of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer. He wrote to those in Ephesus and he told them that we are, as believers, marked In the Lord with a seal and that seal is the Holy Spirit the earliest readers of this letter were aware that this seal that Paul was writing about indicated ownership And, and when I say that what I mean is if the Spirit of God is in your life that is proof that you are owned by that you belong to the Father you're his child that's his seal upon your life when you become a born-again, blood-bought, redeemed saint of the living God, a child of the King, the Spirit of God moves into your life and takes up residence. That's the proof. That's the proof of ownership. The Holy Spirit is how God takes over our lives, begins to work in our lives, begins to change our lives, our thoughts, our speech, our actions. As Paul drew to the close of this letter, I found myself reading in Ephesians chapter 6, and I'll be honest, sometimes I'm reading, I'm just reading to read. I'm reading because I need to take the Word of God in. And there are other times when I'm reading and I'm thinking, ooh, That'll make a good sermon series. I can, I can work with this. But as I was reading in this text, I found myself reading a, a very familiar passage, and I want us to look at it together this morning, and not for the reason you probably think. It's where Paul writes about the armor of God. Ephesians chapter 6, beginning at verse 10, that's where he starts. I want us to read about this because I want you to to get the context of what I'm going to draw out of this and focus on this morning. So if you've got your Bible open, Ephesians chapter 6, find verse 10. Once you've done that, if you can and will, I'm going to invite you to stand with me in honor of the reading of God's holy word. Follow along with me. Paul's writing to his brothers and sisters in Ephesus. He says, finally, he's concluding the letter. People get excited when they hear preachers say, finally. Probably some of the folks reading this letter got excited too when they saw that word. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. And the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Would you pray with me? Father, in the moments that we have this morning, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. Help us to understand that you have fully equipped your children. And given to us every blessing that is needed For us to be able to serve you and fulfill your calling upon our lives. Father, I pray that you would begin a work in our hearts and lives. To open our minds to the reality of the world around us. And the reason that you have called us to this place. That we might be salt and light and make a difference. Now, Father, I pray that as we spend these moments together, you would speak to us. Teach us your truth. Give us the courage and the grace to walk in it. Father, have your way in each heart in this place. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. As I alluded to a moment ago, it would be so simple to preach a series of messages on the armor of God, to take each piece of the armor and talk about what it is and how it's used and how it equips us and and, and what its purpose is in our lives as we serve together in the kingdom of God. But that's not my intention this morning as we begin. My intention is found simply in a phrase that grabbed my attention and grabbed my heart as I was reading this text a few weeks ago. It's found in verse 17. And if you've got your Bible, I hope your Bible is open. I hope you'll stay with me throughout the course of this. But I want you to simply look at these simple words where Paul commanded his readers to take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. The sword of the Spirit which is the Word of God. Paul would have us to understand that the Word of God, when it's used by the Spirit of God, performs the same function as a sword. Listen, God's Word used by the Spirit of God in our mouths and in our lives, it it certainly it's a weapon to overcome spiritual adversaries. He he outlined that clearly as he was heading into the the armor of God. But God also uses His Word as a spiritual probe and as a, a scalpel in our lives, in the lives of individuals, In order to bring them to the place He wants them to be. And I want us to think about that for a little bit. I I just want, last week we talked about the Word of God. This morning I want us to focus on how God's Spirit uses the Word of God. Because I think sometimes we forget that it's not about us. It's not what we do, it's not what we say, it's not how we live. All of those things are important, but the reality is, it is God's Spirit at work in this world through the lives of His people and through the Word of God that transforms our culture one person at a time. So let me just kind of walk us through this if I can. I started looking at this this phrase this concept in this verse because it just captivated my heart and I as I started to think about it my mind started to run in a million different directions and I started running from here and there in scripture and so I may confuse you if I do please understand I was confused first so all you're doing is following me in my confusion all right but let's simply begin by understanding this God's spirit uses God's word to move hearts to the point of conviction regarding sin Now, I understand sometimes we struggle because I'm just going to go ahead and get off script right from the beginning, okay? We get caught up in this idea that if we go out and we share the gospel, if we go out and we tell people about Jesus, if we go out and share our testimony or or tell someone what John 3.16 means to us, or if we do, then it's going to have an impact. I want you to understand something. We are nothing but messengers. We are nothing but mouthpieces for the kingdom of God. As his children, we are commanded to go, we are commanded to tell, we are commanded to share, and certainly we need to be faithful to do that, but we are just messengers. The power is not in us. It is not in us going. The power is in the word of God being used by the spirit of God because the spirit takes that word and he applies it to people's lives and touches them. I don't understand how it happens. I really don't understand how it happens, folks. I, I, I just, I see it. I've experienced it personally I know that it works that way. I don't understand it. I can't tell you the dynamics I can't tell you how God chooses to do it I can't tell you why one day it happens and the next day it doesn't happen or or, or someone comes through your life and you share with them and you have that moment where all of a sudden the spirit just lights up their heart and lights up their lives and everything changes and, and they're gone and the next day you run into somebody else. You have the same type of conversation. You use the same words. You tell them the same thing and they walk away and say Psh, I don't believe that nonsense what is it it's the spirit of God you see he controls that we don't I, I struggle with that as a pastor, I struggle with it. Listen, I stand up here every Sunday morning, and I preach, and I pray before I come here, and I say, God, please open the hearts of people. If someone needs to move, help them to move. And, and I believe that he does that, and I believe that he will do that. And I, I believe that, and I've expected that every Sunday morning for 40-plus years. Now, I'm just going to be real honest. I'm going to get in trouble here. Uh, just Let's just go ahead and get in trouble, can't we? I know that there are a lot of folks who've come to me and said, Pastor, I went to visit this church, or I went to that church, or I went to this. And, and, and you know, the, the man got up and he gave a talk, or he preached, or he did whatever it is that preachers do. But then when he got to the end, he just prayed and we left. There was no invitation. Now, I'm just going to tell you first off, I don't care about all the discussions and debates about theology, but I'm going to tell you something, all right? I think there's a whole lot of preacher ego in getting rid of invitations. I think a whole lot of preachers have gotten to the point of realizing I preach and I preach and I preach and I preach myself into a silly, stinking, sweaty puddle up here on Sunday morning and nobody moves. I must not be doing a good job and that's what people think when they see that happen and nobody moves. Folks, I just want you to know something. I've got as big an ego as anybody you have ever met, but I don't believe that for a minute. The reality is if you don't move, either God didn't call or you're too ignorant to answer. When the Word of God is opened up and shared with people, there needs to be an opportunity for them to respond to it. That's the reason I offer an invitation. It's not because I need some kind of a glorification or some kind of acknowledgement. None of that. I don't care. But here's the reality. When Jesus walked down by the seashore and he looked at those fellows, he said, come follow me. And they did. That was an invitation. When a rich young man came to him and said, Master, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus told him, here's what you do. The man rejected it. But Jesus invited him. Whenever Peter preached Pentecost, their hearts were pierced. And those people said, what must we do? He gave an invitation. Whenever there was an earthquake, the jail doors were opened up. Paul and Silas walked out of the jail in Philippi and there was that man getting ready to kill himself and they stopped him. And they explained to him because he asked a simple question, what do I have to do to be saved? They'd already been listening to the gospel. They'd been praying and preaching and singing inside the cell. They invited him and he responded. Folks, there's always going to be that opportunity. But it doesn't have anything to do with me. It's got everything to do with the word of God and the spirit of God and people hearing the word. In John chapter 16, I'm gonna be bouncing around a whole lot. Please understand, I'm not trying to confuse anybody, but I, I had to work my way back and forth and zigzag cross-country through this thing in order to, to, to get to where I was trying to go with this. In John chapter 16, Jesus explained the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He, he, he told his his listeners there on that day that, that the Spirit would come, and, and he told him, He said, Look, when the Spirit comes, he's going to convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. Whenever conviction comes on people, it's not because a preacher preached a powerful message. It's because the Spirit of God took whatever was said and applied it in such a way that it broke the hearts of the people who heard. It's not about a preacher. It's about the Spirit of God. I've been asked, how can this possibly be? How does the Spirit have the ability to touch hearts in such a way that he accomplishes this? I don't know. And it wouldn't make any sense at all if Jesus hadn't explained it, but he did in John chapter 6. In verses 13 and 14, he talked about the Holy Spirit saying, he will guide you into all truth. He will speak only what he hears. What's he hear? He hears what Jesus says, the word. And he will bring glory to be by taking what is mine and making it known to you. He's going to give you understanding. He's going to help you to make sense out of what I'm telling you. Because so much of what Jesus said, his listeners sat there and said, I don't get it. I don't get it. And they didn't get it until the Spirit of God gave them understanding. What Jesus was explaining in this passage, in these passages, is the Holy Spirit of God is the one who is going to take the Word of God and reveal the truth of that Word to those who hear bringing conviction, bringing repentance, and bringing salvation. Now, I know it's not always easy whenever you find yourself sharing the gospel. See, a lot of folks who are unbelievers, by the way, they're just like we were before we met Jesus. They are steeped in their self-righteousness to the point that sometimes they'll become defensive if anyone speaks to them concerning the sin in their life and the need for Jesus Christ. But when that appointed moment, that glorious moment in time that God has foreordained for them and the Spirit of God begins to convict them and convince them and draw them and pull them, uh, they got to make a decision, folks. And they will either decide to embrace the truth of the gospel or they will be repulsed from it. And it's all between them and the Spirit of God. We're just messengers. Every believer in this room has experienced this. You experienced it first and foremost at the point in time when you became a believer. You didn't just decide one day, I'm going to follow Jesus. No, I'm telling you now, the Spirit of God was working in your life. He was working through people around you. He was working in the situation you were in, whatever it might have been. And he worked in your heart. He revealed to you that you were a sinner, that you needed a Savior, and that God provided that Savior in Jesus Christ. He drew you. He drew you. Listen, what did did Jesus say to Nicodemus? He said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. It's just like Moses and that serpent in the wilderness. You remember? The people were being bitten by the serpents. And they were perishing, and they cried out to God. And the Lord told Moses, said, make a bronze serpent, put it on a staff, hold it up. If they will look up to their salvation, they'll be delivered. Those who looked up to their salvation were delivered. Those who refused perished. So Jesus makes that analogy. Comparing that to himself. Listen, the Spirit of God works through the Word of God. I don't always understand it. I've told you before, there are times when I preach and people walk out the back door and say, Pastor, I loved it when you said, and they tell me what I said, and I'm thinking to myself, I didn't say that. I didn't say anything at all like that. And I'm going to tell you exactly what I've come to understand through the years is the Spirit of God told them what they needed to hear that morning. He spoke to them in their situation, in their moment of need, at their point of crisis. It may not have been what was in my sermon, but it was what needed to be in their hearts. And the Spirit of God takes the Word of God and He applies it to people at the point of their need. How can that possibly happen? I told you last week how it happens, but let me repeat myself in case you didn't catch it. It's because the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any double-edged or two-edged sword. It penetrates. It pierces even to the dividing of soul and spirit and joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of our heart. It's not a completed process when we're born again. I wish that it was, but it's not, because you know what? Even after we're born again, we're still growing in Christ, and we still fail, and we still fall, and we still sin, and the Spirit still convicts, and we are still called to repentance and and to recommitment and to giving ourselves every day to the Lord anew. It never ends, not in this lifetime. There's going to come a point in time we're going to cross out of this body and into the next life. Uh, Paul talks about it in 2 Corinthians. He says to be present in this body is to be absent from the Lord, but to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. When that takes place, we are going to find ourselves glorified, fully sanctified to the point of being glorified. When we arrive in His presence, there will be no more sin. I'm just going to tell you folks, I have no idea what that's going to be like. You know why I say that? Because I've been a sinner my whole life. I still am. But I am a sinner saved by God's grace. That's the glory of it. And when that moment in time comes, we will no longer be sinners. We will be gloriously, perfectly saved for eternity in the presence of our Holy Master. Oh, what an amazing thing this is to think about. Spirit of God uses the Word of God to move hearts from conv- to the point where we understand we're sinners. That's conviction. That's what God does. But He doesn't stop there. And I, I know I got to move fast. How oh, my watch stopped? We, we got no hurry at all. It is going to be 1117 until Jesus comes again, all right? Y'all just stay here with me. Don't look up there. I know no help back there. (laughs) Let's move on. Listen, God's Spirit uses God's Word to cut away what is unproductive from His church. Uh Uh-oh, preacher, you're about to get personal now. Yes, I am. But you know why I am? Because Jesus was. I I was looking at this and and thinking about, you know, how this applies. And I found myself thinking about John chapter 15. Y'all familiar with John chapter 15? I see a few bobbing heads and I I see a whole lot of confused looks. In John chapter 15, Jesus talked about the pruning process that happens in the lives of believers. Now, the believers joined together are the church, aren't we? Yeah, we are. In, in John chapter 15, verses 1 and 2, Jesus makes it very clear. Look, he says, I am the vine and my father. My father's the gardener. Jesus says, I'm the vine. Dad, he's the master gardener. Now here's what God, Dad does. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, and while every branch that does not bear fruit, He prunes so that it will be even more fruit. Listen, He eliminates what doesn't, and He improves what does. How does He do that? It's the moving of the Spirit. It's the working of the Spirit. And it is the Word of God. Listen, the pruning process that God applies to our lives, it's not to cause pain. It's not to punish. It's to cleanse the vine. It's to make the vine more effective. It's to make the gospel more powerful. It is to make the Word of God more intense. Listen, Jesus By the way, if you've turned to John chapter 15, you can look at verse 3. Because Jesus took it a step further and he has said something to his followers who were sitting there listening. He said, you're already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. The word cleans. The word cleanses. The word prunes. The word purges. Why is it a big deal? Most of you who know me know I'm from Oklahoma. I love my home state. But there is one thing that Oklahoma has done, long before I was ever born, or I would have put a stop to it, (laughs) that has forever irritated me, agitated me, and upset me. and it is the state flower. Do you know what the state flower of Oklahoma is? Mistletoe. (laughs) Do you know what mistletoe is? Mistletoe is a parasite. (laughs) Yeah, it, it is. Mistletoe is a parasite that grows on trees and if it is not removed, it will eventually kill the tree on which it grows. It sucks all of the life, all of the nutrients, all of the riches that are needed for that tree to flourish. Uh, So listen, if you're at home, you go home and say, oh look at my beautiful mistletoe, you're killing your tree folks, cut it out of there. You see, this is what the pruning is about because any vine that's not produ- or any branch on the vine that's not producing fruit is taking nutrients it's taking the resources that are necessary for the fruit to be produced by the healthy branches and if you don't prune it out you're allowing that branch to be a parasite that is sucking away what is necessary for good growth that's what god is doing the Lord honored his believers. He, he told them, said, look, we're going we're to do this pruning. The Father does this. How does he do it? He does it through the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. He confronts us. He corrects us. He challenges us. He changes us. He makes us useful or he removes us. Say, Wait a minute, preacher. Where are you going with that? I'm going to be very pastoral. Okay, I'm just going to tell you what my experience has been across 40-something years in the ministry. God tries to correct and change his people. And usually God's people go right along with it. If they're truly his, they're they're convinced about their sin. They're convinced about the rightness of the Savior. But sometimes rebellion gets in the way. Sometimes hearts hearts get hard. Sometimes we bow up our necks and say, well, I'll just show him. Let me just tell you. First off, God can break us, and I, I don't know about you, but I've, I've watched many people through the years be broken by God because they did not want to surrender. They were not going to give way. They were not going to honor him. They were not going to obey him. They were not going to fulfill his calling, and he said, we'll see about that, and he broke them. It happens, and it can happen in a multitude of ways, so don't say, well, what do you mean Break me. It can happen in a multitude of ways. It can happen through your family. It can happen through your work. It can happen through your business. It can happen through all manner of ways. But God can break you. And when he does, he'll get your attention. Okay? Second thing I'm going to tell you is this. I've seen through a lot of different places in a lot of different years, times when someone who would not allow God to fix them, he moved them. Because he wanted to do a work in a particular place and in a certain way and he simply took someone who would not be a part of that and he removed them, took them to some other place and gave them another opportunity, another chance. But I'm going to tell you the third thing, and this is the part that always makes people say, I knew he was going to go there. Sometimes God calls children home and says, I'm not going to allow you to stop what I'm doing. He said, well, you don't know that. I've seen it. And most of us, if we're honest, would have to say, yeah, I've seen that, or at least I've suspicioned that. You See, I want you to understand something. This portion of a verse that I got so hung up on in my office the other day. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Think about that sword for a moment. A sword. The letter to the Hebrews said what? The letter to the Hebrews said that that sword was two-edged. It cuts. Now, I want to tell you about a sword. I kind of like action movies. And I know there are a lot of those out there where you guys see guys. Was there anybody seen Gladiator? Well, you seen Gladiator, you understand that. Ben-Hur, Spartacus, all those movies. You've got a sword. What are you doing with the sword? Well, that sword is both offensive and defensive. It can be used to cut and to slash and to stab, but it can also be used to ward off attacks and to protect oneself. The Holy Spirit uses the Word to build us up. He uses it in a defensive manner. He he wards off attacks. He builds us up. He feeds us what we need to be fed. But He also uses it, sometimes I believe, in, in an offensive manner. He has to cut. He has to slash. He has to stab. He has to pierce because He has to remove what doesn't belong there. Church. Let me, let me just speak to us for a moment, if I can. Brothers and sisters in Christ, those of you who are part of this congregation or those of you who maybe haven't become a part of this congregation yet, but you feel like this is home and, and you belong to Jesus Christ, let me just speak to us, okay? It is much easier to live in harmony with the Word of God and to live at peace with our Master than it is... To become rebellious and live at odds with the Word, with the Father, and with the Spirit who works and moves among us. So I challenge you. You say, well, how, how do we know? You get in the Word. You read it. You study it. You learn what it says. And you apply what it says so that you're not fighting against it. But rather, you're walking in it every day. Because there's one more thing that I've got to get you to. And Mike, I'm going to have to have you help me because I think I vapor locked up there, okay? But God's Spirit uses God's Word to remove contamination out of His children's lives. And when I say that, what I mean is this. The Word of God teaches us what we should do and what we shouldn't do. How to live. How to live in a way that brings glory and honor to our Master. Now, again, you're not going to know what that is until you find yourself getting to that point where you're ready to get into the Word and really absorb it. But then it becomes another thing. It's not a matter of knowing what the Word of God says as much as it is doing what you know. For example, i will try this again. There we go. Paul is writing to the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Most of y'all are familiar with this. I'm just taking this as an example. And and Paul wrote to his brothers and sisters. He told them, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. Now, most of y'all are familiar with this, right? Okay, so I can just get it right down on this thing. For you guys, students, young people, and I know there are young people in other parts of the room. Okay, that's relative. But let me address the students for a minute. Here's what Paul is saying. And please understand, Paul was inspired by the Spirit of God to pen these words. This is Scripture. It is inspired by God. It is God-breathed. Okay? When Paul says, do not be yoked together with unbelievers, what he's telling you is this. Don't connect, don't interconnect your life with people who do not share your faith. What are you talking about? Some of you date. You need to date the right people. Now, what do you mean? What is dating? Dating is spending time with someone to figure out whether or not this is someone you want to spend time with. Like the rest of your life. Because that's really the whole point in it. If you're going to date, you need to date people who share your faith. Why? Because one day, I know it's a shock, and some of you are going to say, no way, not me. One day, you're probably going to say, I want to get married. You guys are going to look at that little girl and say, oh yeah. (laughs) And you girls are going to look at him and say, ew. (laughs) But the reality is, there's going to come a moment in time when your hearts may start to beat together. But if both of those hearts don't have Jesus in them, you're hooking up for trouble. You You know what you're talking about. I know exactly what I'm talking about. And I'm going to tell you why. Multiple reasons. A, God blessed me with a godly wife. I didn't deserve it, but He did it. And she's the best part of my ministry. I've also got a number of friends that were called to the ministry and they didn't marry women like my wife and they're not in the ministry anymore. Because see, it takes both of us to make it work. Not only that, but I'm going to tell you something. I've done hundreds of weddings. Tragically, I've received word that many of those marriages never made it. And so many of those young men and women, I told them, don't do this. I've, had, I've literally told people, don't do this. I've had people leave my office and go to courthouses and get married because I told them, I can't do this. They did it anyway. Look at what Paul said after that. What do righteousness and wickedness have in common? What fellowship can light have with darkness? What he's saying is this, your lives need to be linked up with people who share your faith. Now, can it work? Absolutely, it can work. But you miss the best joy. You miss the greatest happiness. You miss the the, the ultimate fulfillment if you're not serving the Lord together. Paul had already addressed this very issue, in fact. Back in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, he 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 knew who he was writing to. He's talking to people who'd come out of a pagan background. And he said, look, if you're a new believer, you don't have to leave. Don't leave your spouse because they refuse to convert. He told them, stay with them. Peter says, stay with them. And see if by your lifestyle, perhaps, they might come to know Christ. Why is all of this so important? It's simple. Because God's Spirit and God's Word call us to holy living. Now, let me explain what I mean by that. Are there any hunters in the room? A few? Okay. You guys go hunting. You go off into the woods, and you dress just like you're dressed right now, correct? No? What's different? What? What? I saw your lips move. Camo. Camo. Yeah. You want, (laughs) I'm one of you guys, okay, so I mean, but but think about what I'm getting ready to say. You want to look like a tree. Yeah. Now, some of our wives are thinking, that's because he's dumb as a tree. We camo up. We paint our faces. We want to look like a tree. We want to blend in to the environment because we believe that that animal is so ignorant that if we sit still looking like a tree, they won't know we're there. Now, I just want you to listen to me. Much of the crisis of our world today is due to the fact that the church has camoed up and gone and sat down in the world. Trying to be invisible, unseen, and unrecognized. When the church does this, Becomes a, a group of camouflage Christians. The world suffers because when that happens, we're not recognized as being different. We are no longer salt and light. We have become just like our surroundings. And God's word has never called us to be camouflaged Christians. He's told us to put on the whole armor of God, and once you've done that, to stand. Stand firm. Stand unmovingly. Why would we do such a thing? Because God has called us to. Got that book in your hand? I want you to turn with me to 2 Corinthians. I've got to get some paper clips out of the way to do it with you. I'm going to. Go to 2 Corinthians, chapter 6. And I want you to allow the Spirit of God to use the Word of God to point you to the truth right now. Don't have a Bible? Here it is. Chapter 6, verses 16 through 18. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. The Word of God says, be different be different. God's Word calls us to stand apart from the world. Our speech should be different. Our attitudes should be different. Our actions should be different. Our passion should be different. And the reason why is simple because our eternal destination is different. The ways of God and the ways of man are vastly different. And they really are easily differentiated if you get into the Word of God and let the Spirit of God begin to reveal the truth to you. One scholar I was reading was trying to explain this, and I loved the illustration he chose. I'd never thought about it before. Y'all remember the night that Jesus was arrested? You've heard that story, right? Okay. The Last Supper. And then they left the upper room and they crossed the valley and they went into the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus prayed there. And he prayed several times and his followers just were, they were having the after meal nap thing going on. They couldn't stay with him. But then the noise came and the light came, and it was the soldiers coming to arrest Jesus. And Judas walked up and he kissed Jesus. And one of the twelve, Peter, grabbed a sword. Don't miss the significance a sword, and swung it like a fisherman. Thinking he was going to sever a head, he clipped off an ear. Malchus, that was the name of the high priest's servant whose ear was cut off, was Malchus. And it caused an uproar. Can you imagine the confusion in that darkness with just torchlight and the shadows and the trees? And the Jesus calmly picked up that ear and placed it back on his head and healed him. Peter made a mess when he got a hold of the sword. Weeks later, it's Pentecost. The Spirit of God falls on the believers, and they go out into the street, and guess who starts to preach? Peter. But instead of Peter getting a hold of a sword, this time, a sword got a hold of him. Because the Spirit of God who uses the word of God, filled him and he spoke the truth of God. And on that day, because the word of God was clearly and passionately laid open before the people in Jerusalem, thousands of souls came to know Christ. Friends, it's time for us to put down our swords and let the sword of God take us. sword of the spirit which is the word of God that's the only weapon we need that's the weapon we must use and that's the weapon that we have to let God use through us because I'm going to tell you something I always look forward to and I wait for the reports and I love to share them because I love to hear what God's doing. And in the first couple of days, what'd you tell me? 140 something horseshoes. Yeah. We always talk about that 10% rule. 18 professions of faith. A little over that 10%. Praise God for that. But can I tell you something? It's not the people that are there, and it's not those horseshoes. It's the Word of God, and it's the Spirit of God. And the question is, will the church of Jesus Christ make herself accessible to be used to take the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, and share it? That's the decision that you and I have to make. I made my decision years ago. Many of you have as well, I know. Some of you have never thought about it. It's time. It's time to think about it. It's time to decide. Right now. Let's bow our heads together. In just a moment, we're going to stand together and sing a song of of invitation. Why? Because the Word of God's been opened, and it's been shared, and it's been explained. But there's one more thing I need to share with you, because I want you to know this this morning. God loves you. does not matter who you are. does not matter where you've been or what you've been involved in. You may look at yourself in the mirror and say, God can't love me. The things I've said, the things I've done, the places I've been, the people I've been with, God can't. God can't love me. Yes, He can. He does. God loves you so much that even while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. And today He offers to you the gift the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ. The question is will you receive that gift? What do I have to do? Confess your sin to Him. Just acknowledge that you're a sinner. I, I am. I have to acknowledge that to him every day. It doesn't mean you're any better or any worse than anybody else. It just means you acknowledge who you are and what your life is. We're all sinners. We all do things that dishonor God and disobey him. Whether it's in word, whether it's in deed, whether it's in thought, whether it's in attitude, whatever it is, we all do it. He asks us to confess our sins. He tells us that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from our unrighteousness. What's that mean? That means this. You confess your sin and turn away from it. And today he'll make you a new person. He'll wash that sin out of your life. You say, well, where does it go? It's already on Jesus. He took your sin on himself when he went to the cross. Because he knew if he took your sin that you could be clothed in his righteousness. It's a marvelous transaction that occurs. The question is, are you ready to receive it? You may say, I, I want that. That sounds, that sounds awesome, but I, I'm not sure what to do. I'll tell you what you do. When we stand and start to sing in a few moments, come and take me by the hand and say, Pastor, I want that. There don't have to be any fancy words. Just, I want that. I'll know what you're talking about, and I won't embarrass you or put you on the spot, but I'd love to share with you some more about how you can become a child of God today. Brothers and sisters in Christ, You're sitting there with the sword of God in your lap and in your hands. Do you just hold it or do you read it? Do you study it? Do you know what it is? Do you know how to use it? Are you using it? Or is God calling you to today? Would you surrender to him and say, I'm willing to be used. Father, you show me where, you show me who, you show me when, you show me how. I'll do it. Would you be available to him? What do you need to do? How's God speaking to you? Be obedient. Father, I thank you this morning for your word. It's powerful. It is active and living. It is sharp. And it does cut and pierce. But Father, it cuts and pierces in order to bring healing and wholeness. Father, I know that in this room, there's some who need a relationship with you. I pray for them. I pray that your spirit would convict them of sin, convince them that Jesus is the Savior. Draw them to yourself, Father, that they might become a new creation in Jesus Christ today. Lord, I know also there are a lot of my brothers and sisters in this room. We share our faith in Jesus Christ. We share it with one another, but we're called to share it with the world beyond us. Some are faithfully doing that. Father, some never have. I pray that your spirit would begin to work in our hearts to convict us of the need, to grow in us a desire and a passion to be used. Father, I'm not sure how it is you speak to hearts. I just know that you do it. And I know you've done it today. I pray, Father, that whatever it is you're calling toward, whatever it is you're drawing to, whatever it is you're trying to direct us to, that we would hear, that we would respond, that we would be obedient. And now, Father, I pray, have your way in our lives. Whatever you desire to do, do it. We're going to rejoice together in it because we know that it's not about this church. It's not about this pastor. It's not about us as a people. It's about you. Father, we want to honor you with our lives. So have your way. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.